0: This episode is a rebroadcast of The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And as always, we're so grateful that you're with us here today. One of the things we love to do here on The Common Good is just to really talk about, dive into, share articles that Brian and I have especially found yes. meaningful and uh Today, we're going to toot our own horns. Self-promote. A little bit. We're going to self-promote, Brian, because Brian and I have been writing articles over at Christianity Today at the Better Samaritan blog, which is run by Kent Anon and Jamie Ayton. Those are two folks from the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College. We've had them on the show before. And they have generously allowed Brian and I from the Common Good to partner with them to write for them regularly. And so... Usually what we're writing about are things we kind of talk about on the show or are passionate about. And we got to write recently about regaining mental, spiritual, and social health in a post-pandemic world. Mm. Now, let me say this. We know we're not totally a post-pandemic world yet. Post-ish. Post-ish pandemic world. But what we mean by that is just like we, I think we've said this before. I heard another pastor say this. That um once nine eleven happened, we considered mm-hmm. ourselves a post-9-11 world. Now COVID has happened. We are now a post-COVID world. That's that we a good can way to never put it. go pre-COVID. We are now a post-COVID world. So that's what we mean. How do we regain mental, spiritual, and social health in a post pandemic right. world? And one of the things that we talk about, I'm just gonna run down our article here, Brian, and we can kind of unpack it for our listeners here. If you wanna read it, it's over at ChristianityToday.com. But one of the things we talk about is you know, just as the impact COVID had on us is multi-layered, so is the approach to finding health now, right? To, To jumping back into life. And so we brought forward three initial steps that you and your community can take in order to begin picking up the pieces mentally, spiritually, even relationally after so much change. And One of the things that we talked about was beginning to lament Mm -hmm. and lament is something I'm specifically really passionate about. Brian and I have talked about lament before because he and Carrie have been through difficult things. And um, what we're, what we're sharing in this article is that, you know, though we're beginning to see the world open up again and it's fun and it's exciting, The reality is that anytime we experience trauma or suffering, our bodies keep the score and we have been through a major collective trauma. The whole world has. And so if we want to move forward in healing, we can't really skip past all that and just Mm -hmm. pretend like nothing happened. We need to take some time to share our pain and our hurt with God, to lament communally, to lament personally, and just to say to the Lord, God, this has been really, really, really hard. And As we pour out our hearts to God like that, we will find God meeting us so that we can move forward.
0: Yeah, and I think we skip that often, right? In churches, we want to go, hey, everything's great. Oh, God is good. And those aren't God is good as a true statement Yes, absolutely. Oftentimes, we use it in order to kind of take what we think will take the sting off of the hard times. And sometimes, uh, Aubrey, I'm not breaking any new ground here. The COVID pandemic has been very difficult. For all of us. And <laughs> we have true. all lost. Even if you haven't lost anybody, like to the to the pandemic, to the disease or to the virus, or if you haven't been sick yourself, even if it has not taken physical toll on you, it's changed everything in terms of how we do church, how we do school. What did our kids miss over these last 18 months? How what are they still missing? What have I missed? And an, an opportunity for us to go, you know what? I'm going to first begin. Before I build back up, let me acknowledge what is broken down. Let me acknowledge mm, what has become yeah, yeah. difficult. That's we good. as Christians uh, stereotypically do not do that well.
2: We stereotypically skip right to the end and and don't acknowledge the pain that we're in. And I think the reality is we, we can only experience true deep healing if we're willing to name the things that have hurt us. That's right. And sometimes that means just doing it privately in a journal, telling the Lord. Sometimes it means talking with your church community, like Mm -hmm. even having a night of lament, all the things that have lost, all the people you've lost, all the jobs that have been lost. Sometimes it means just you talking to Jesus like, Lord, this has been really hard. I want to move forward, but I don't want to pretend like I'm not hurt. And what you'll find is God's presence will meet you there. That's right. All right That's the right. next thing that we talk about, Brian, is seeking wise counsel. Do you want to unpack that for our listeners?
0: Yeah. A lot of times when we're in the midst of real struggle, we need outside voices mm. to speak truth to us. Mm. Uh, and, I, and I like the use. I know we we are the ones who put it there, but I like the use mm-hmm. of the word wise, right? Like Because you could seek counsel from anywhere. Good point. And, but, but people that you can trust, people who know you, mm-hmm. people who maybe know your situation, Uh, And so you can uh, talk to a therapist like there's there's no shame. In fact, there's great value in going and visiting uh, a professional, a therapist. But you have a friend that you really trust Uh, your pastor coming to your pastor. Who are the people that you could talk to who may not be as emotional about the circumstance you're going through, in this case, the pandemic, but it could be other stuff. Who are the people who can kind of uh, chart the course for you, help you chart the course and make, hey, here's truth. Uh, here's what's what you're believing. Here's what's true. But maybe you're, you know, maybe you're off here. Let yeah. me let me give you some words of wisdom. I think seeking not just counsel but wise counsel, people who can really help you start to move forward. I think is something that we all uh, we need. It's not just uh, we weren't meant to live on an island. Mm, hey, I'm just gonna good. you know kind of come up with everything on my own. Yeah, Sometimes we good. just need outside words to tell us, hey. Let me give you some wisdom here. Let me give you some counsel.
2: One of the scriptures that we quoted on the uh, part under seeking wise counsel was Proverbs 13, 10, which says, where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Mm. That's biblical. Take advice. It's biblical. From a therapist, from a safe friend, share your burden with the pastor. In so doing, you'll find strength and greater wholeness. All right. And the last point that we made is to move towards others yeah there's a lot of folks right now Brian and I see this Brian and I we know you're hurting mm-hmm. we know that you're going through a hard time and it can be so easily so easy to retreat so easy to sort of stay in your isolation it can be fearful to step out of that you know add to that a year and a half of like um, forced isolation mm-hmm. then there's an understandable amount of anxiety that comes with returning to social gatherings going to church going to work parties that can be really difficult. But if we can take little steps toward our community, we can find healing and safe spaces within relationships. And give yourself time to do that. You don't have to go to all the work events, all the concerts, all the games tomorrow. That's right. Take a small step. Invite a friend over. Uh, Sit on your back porch with somebody. Return to like... Of your favorite coffee shops just mm. for a little while and be kind to yourself don't judge yourself don't be mean to yourself be kind to yourself as you step out in bravery towards others
0: yeah we were never meant to live in isolation mm. and we've had to at times over the last 18 months some people more than others uh but we were ultimately never meant to live isolated and so uh you've got to figure out out there how you are going to kind of break free of isolation if that's where you're at right now is it you know Online. Is it uh, like you said, meeting people outside? Is it going to coffee shops? Is it going to parties? Whatever else it might be. But you need people in your life and you need to be in other people's lives who will encourage you, who will be there for you. Uh, we're meant to live in community. Uh, and for some of you, that means taking steps, small steps, back towards community right now.
2: Yeah, that's that's such, that's such a good word from us. right <laughs> it sounds a little funny to to promote ourselves, but we hope you're encouraged by that. You can learn to lament, seek wise counsel, move towards others in community, and begin by doing so to untangle the layers of hurt and find hope after and even in the midst of our season mm-hmm. of suffering. Again, you can find our article at Christianity Today at the Better Samaritan blog.
0: Coming up next, we're excited to be joined by a friend of yours, Dr. Derwin Gray, uh, founding and lead pastor of Transformation Church. He's also the author of a new book uh, that we are going to talk to him about next year on The Common Good called God, Do You Hear Me? An an important book about prayer. We're going to talk to Derwin Gray next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. (laughs) Hey everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm, and Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by the co-founder and lead pastor of Transformation Church and also the author of a new book that just looks fabulous called God, Do You Hear Me? Discover the Prayer God Always Answers. That is Dr. Derwin Gray. Derwin, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing pretty good.
1: I'm doing better. Than I'm talking to you guys. Chicago is one of my favorite places in the world. Oh, that's outstanding. That's awesome. It's good
0: to hear, Derwin. Hey, before we jump into this book, uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more so our audience can get to know you?
1: Yeah, so I am Vicki's husband. We've been together 32 <laughs> years, married awesome. 29 years. We, uh, we met second semester my freshman year in college. I was 18. She was 19. And We've been hanging out ever since. I have a daughter, Presley, who's a college graduate at 25, and our son, Jeremiah, is 21, and he's a junior. In 2010, uh, my wife and I co-founded Transformation Church. Uh, We didn't grow up in the church, Mm. and so it was really strange to us that being unsaved people in the nightclub, it looked like Revelation 5-9, every nation, tribe, and (laughs) tongue, but when we became Christians, it was like we had to choose between black church, white church, mm. and churches were more segregated than any aspect of society. And as new Christians, we just read the Bible and kind of like believed it. And we saw that Jesus was the promised seed of Abraham and that mm. God the Father promised Abraham a family
3: mm. that
1: was uh, uh, multi-ethnic and I like to say a color-blessed family we're not colorblind oh, on color and so we begin to ask pastors like well okay our area is diverse but why isn't our church mm. and we got really non-biblical answers and so we just since the holy spirit say don't criticize create and so both my wife and i have a passion for jesus a passion for people uh, we're overwhelmed by the good news of christ that rescued us but the great thing is individual salvation doesn't just exist for us. God saves us to put us into a family and the way this family loves each other bears witness that he rose from the dead. And so, yeah. And uh, I used to play professional football a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what I do now. I love Jesus. I love people. I love pastors. um, And uh, I love people to, Learn how to pray. Mm.
2: Mm, That is so awesome. Well, let's jump right into that because the title of your new book is God, Do You Hear Me? And we know that it's a book about prayer. Can you talk to us about who you wrote this book for?
1: Yeah, you know, um, I wrote this book for the person who has walked with Jesus for a long, long time, but they want to go deeper in prayer. Mm. I wrote this book for a person who feels like, no, God does not hear me. I'm unworthy to be heard. Um, I wrote this book for the person who is just learning about what following Jesus is. Mm. And ultimately I wrote this book because I want to be a part of a generation mm. that approaches God's throne of grace and mercy with boldness and confidence and pray prayers that make him smile.
4: Oh, love that. Mm, that's really well
0: put. Nervin, uh, what makes, let, let's just ask it this way, especially for those people who've been believers for a long time, but also for new believers why is prayer so hard? It seems like a really basic thing, but I'm a pastor. I know I struggle with prayer, and you yep. know, if I had a nickel for every time somebody told me, uh, Pastor, I don't know how to pray, or prayer, I don't get it. What makes prayer so hard?
1: You know what I think makes prayer so hard is we project onto God the qualities of humanity. So mm. think about it. Uh, we are We are trained as an early age from commercials to friendships to even parenting, that we're not good enough like you know you you come home as a kid with with four a's and one c and parents spend eight hours on the c and mm-hmm. they'll talk about the four a's so and good. we're always told we're not good enough we're not smart enough we got to try more there's never enough and what we do is we project that onto god the father even for those of us who follow jesus it's like yeah jesus died for my sins but yet god is still mad at me mm-hmm. and so why would i pray to someone who I feel like I don't live up to, who I feel like I'll never measure up, that I'm not good enough. And so we're approaching God from a transactional perspective of, if I'm good enough, you'll bless me with what I want. Mm. And we have to really throw all that away. And the Lord's prayer starts with our father. Mm. So here's what's different about our father than earthly fathers or mothers is Once we attach ourselves to Jesus by faith, all that is true of Jesus is now true of us. Mm. It's not fair. That's why it's called grace. That the obedience of Jesus is given to me as a free gift. It's like he took the test of life and scored 100%. I failed, but his test takes my place.
3: Mm. So much Mm.
1: so that God the Father says, you are inextricably united to my son and mm. the same way i love my son is the same way that i love you hence that's why hebrews 4:16 says we can approach god's throne of grace and mercy with boldness and confidence and we find grace in our time of need. Grace has a name, and it's Jesus. Jesus Amen. in his blood not only declares us righteous, but eternally unites us to God that he's fully pleased with us because he's fully pleased with Jesus. And so what happens is, is we stop thinking about ourselves and what we don't do, and we think more about what Christ has done. Amen. And what happens is we begin to approach your Father that we know that loves us. And so when we pray our father, we're not approaching him looking for affirmation. We're approaching him from the position of affirmation that Jesus got for us. So oh, I, I think if we that. switch that, if we switch that, prayer becomes more than simply asking for stuff.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Prayer becomes the doorway that we experience God's unending grace.
2: I think that is so powerful, Durin, and and I want to have you dig into that a little bit deeper. If prayer is more than just asking for stuff, then how do we even begin to pray in a way that feels like it honors God?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know what's really cool, right? So Jesus, um, he tells his disciples in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, he says, Therefore, when you pray, you should pray like this. So Jesus literally, not figuratively, not metaphorically, but literally tells us how to pray. And the word pray is written in the Greek language in a present imperative. So it means a continuous, habitual way. Hmm. And so Jesus is literally teaching us how to pray. And when you look at the structure of the Lord's Prayer, can you say it word for word? Yes, I do. Twice a day I say it word word for word. Yeah. At night I pray Psalm 23 before I go to bed, but throughout the day, I'm using the Lord's prayer as a choreography. Mm -hmm. So whenever you see someone dance in a play or musical, there's a choreographer Well, the Lord's prayer is a choreography so that we can dance to the rhythm of God's grace. And so when you look at the Lord's prayer, it starts with this father, uh, intimacy into me, you see. And so the Lord's prayer reveals God's will for humanity. Our job is not God's will for our lives. Our job is how God's will is expressed through our lives. Hmm. But God's will looks like loving intimacy with the Father. It looks like setting God's name apart. That means to be holy, right? He's set apart. It's allegiance. I wear, I've been wearing a wedding, a wedding ring for 29 years. Hmm. That means I'm set apart. Vicki has captivated my heart. I belong to her. Well, to set God apart as holy means in response to his grace in Jesus, my eyes are for him and him alone. And when mm-hmm. false lovers whisper in my ear, I reject them because of the acceptance of Christ. Mm-hmm. God's kingdom, your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. And let me make a point here. Uh, Western American Christians are so busy trying to escape earth, and Jesus is so busy trying to get heaven to earth <laughs> through his disciples.
2: Amen. That's good. Amen
1: do on earth as it is in heaven well what is god's kingdom god is so beautiful he goes okay if you're mistaken about what my kingdom is my eternal son is going to embody what the kingdom is so everything that jesus did is what the kingdom of god looks like when he forgives when he rebukes Mm. when he's being slandered he still goes to the cross when he forgives his disciples for abandoning him when he Heals the woman with the issue of blood when he goes into Samaria to overcome racism and misogyny. That's what the kingdom of God looks mm. like. When he washes the feet of his disciples, that's the kingdom of God. Then it moves to give us this day our daily bread. That's where we begin to ask for things that we need. So notice though in Matthew 6, 8 and Matthew 6, 32, Jesus says, well, your father already knows what you need. So maybe prayer is more than asking for things from God, Right. and prayer is more about being with God.
2: Oh, I love that.
1: Oh, that's so good. And he's going to give us what we need, not our greed. Mm. Then it moves into the beauty of forgiveness.
0: Oh, I just want to encourage people to go get that book called God, Do You Hear Me? Discover the Prayer God Always Answers. Uh, I got to ask you, before we jump back into the book, you told us uh, that you used to play in the NFL. Uh, If anyone follows you on Twitter, you've got lots of great stuff about football on there going on. Uh, I always wondered, how did being in the NFL prepare you to be a pastor? How are they the same? How are they completely different? Uh, I I
1: would say one of the ways that it prepared me to be a pastor was to realize that playing professional football against 325 pound men is a lot easier than pastoring that. Suit. That's, that's,
3: that's one. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
1: but, but, you know, I would, I would say the biggest lesson that I learned was this, is that a football team is comprised of people from different backgrounds, mm. different shapes and different sizes you have a coach, you have coaches, you have captains, and you have players, and there's a vision for that team. There's a playbook. Mm. And when everybody is on the same accord, you can do some incredible things. Well, what is the church? The church is, you know, you you have an owner, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, You have coaches, which are pastors and staff, and then you have the congregation, Right. And then when everybody's all on one accord, you can do incredible things in the gospel. What I noticed was with a football team, you accept that your role and you sacrifice. What I found with the church a lot of times is we're very individualistic and we don't understand the concept of team. Mm. We read the Bible through the Western enlightenment of me, myself and I instead of we. And so even when you look at the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't say your Father in heaven. It says our Father. And so the Bible is a communal book, just as God is communal, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so those are the things that football taught me about teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. Everyone has a role. Everyone matters. Uh, Stay aligned to the assignment. Don't let jealousy, envy, or bitterness uh, corrupt what the team could be.
2: That's good. Oh, so good. And Derwood, let me bring that back to your, to your book, God, Do You Hear Me, a book on prayer. Because what is, um, is there value in communal prayer? Because I do think we, we think about prayer as more of an individual, isolated, spiritual discipline. But I wonder, what would, you, what would you say to our listeners about prayer in community?
1: It's essential. That, that was normative in the early church. Yeah, there are, uh, praying individual is important, but community is important. Like last night here at Transformation Church, we have a, uh, 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 we're studying my book, God, do you hear me? And we have a night of prayer. And so over a hundred and some people were in small groups praying mm-hmm. together. So corporate prayer is important in church. When you read scripture together, that is important. And so corporate prayer is important. What I want to help people do though is align themselves to the choreography the Lord's Prayer, because by the time you get to give us as they are daily bread, you're so infatuated and captivated Mm -hmm. by the will of God, you start to pray what God wants for your life instead of what you want for your life.
0: Mm. And and Derwin, you, you mentioned before some of your rhythms, you said you pray the 23rd Psalm, you pray the Lord's Prayer. I'm thinking of the person in their car right now or at home who's like, I don't know where to start. Like, I don't know How to pray. I would point people to your book. But what would you say, uh, maybe they're a a long-time believer, but they never really learned to pray, or they're a new believer. What's step one? What would you encourage somebody, step one, to begin a prayer life? The
1: step one that I would say is read the Lord's Prayer. Mm -hmm. And when you're done, say, uh, Father, I pray that this prayer would be embodied in my life in my family's life, in my church, and the church around the world, and then just sit there and just marinate. And if mm-hmm. things come to mind, you pray. If not, then you move on. But then throughout the day, I'm praying things like, Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you're sovereign. Thank you that you're good. Uh, Lord, there are going to be many idols that try to woo me away from you, but may I remember the cross and stay connected to you. Yeah. Father, may your kingdom be expressed through me. You know, and so and then also prayer is more than talking to God, but not less than talking to God.
3: Mm.
1: Prayer is a posture of our souls that are open to his divine presence and influence. Mm. That's
2: so good. Derwin, your book is uh, broken up into five different sections, discovering who our father is, discovering God's kingdom and your priestly role in it, depending on the bread of life diving into God's forgiveness and developing a wartime mindset. You're working through the um, Lord's Prayer. I wonder if you could speak to that last one a little bit, developing a wartime mindset. What do you mean about that? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You know, so the first thing is, if you're a follower of Jesus, our weapons of war is faith, hope, and love. Mm -hmm. And we do our best fighting when we're on our knees. And what I mean by by that is when you look at the last part of the Lord's Prayer, it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, we know from Hebrews 6 that God does not lead us into temptation. We know from 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that God gives us a way out of temptation. So what's happening? What's happening is is Jesus is retracing his time in the wilderness when he was tempted by the devil. In Matthew 3, 17, Jesus is baptized and he's probably to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil and the three temptations of the devil are the three temptations that he used on the nation of Israel in the wilderness after they were freed from slavery in Egypt Mm. it's the three temptations that he used against Adam and Eve so where Adam and Eve failed where Israel failed where you and I failed Jesus succeeded because the devil only has three tricks and here they are you are what you do Mm. you are what others think you are what you possess. Hmm. So uh, performance, popularity, possessions. I got that from Pete Scazzaro, and I think he got that from Henry Mellon. But nevertheless, three times Jesus says, but it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. And so Jesus quotes scripture. So what does that mean for us? It means for us that we are not what we do we are what Christ has done Mm -hmm. we are not what others think we are what the father thinks we are not what we possess because we are possessions we've been bought with a price so therefore we have to renew our minds with this truth the scene of the crime is your mind
3: Hmm.
1: that's why Paul says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm. Like we try to make it more difficult than it is. And the reality is we tend to react to our feelings versus respond to truth. Truth and my feelings do not often correspond, but if (laughs) I follow truth, my feelings will catch up. Mm. So the better we know scripture, the better we're actually going to pray. Then Jesus defeated Sin, death, and evil through the cross. A lot of times, many Christians are Friday Christians. Jesus died for my sins. So here's a a question: If we're spiritually dead, or let's just say we're a a corpse, and someone says to a corpse, "I forgive you," that doesn't do the corpse any good because right, right, right. When, when we are forgiven by God, we're also made alive by God. Amen. We're, we're, we're not just a Friday people. We're a Sunday morning pe- people. Right. Jesus, who rose from the dead, lives in us. So therefore, we no longer have to give in to the temptation of sin. We no longer have to fear death because Jesus left death in that tomb. Yeah. And the devil has been defeated by the work of Christ, That's even right. though things look dark at times. The light has come, and now we're joining Jesus, not looking to escape Earth, but looking to turn Earth into a future that's coming, which is the new heavens and new Earth.
0: That's such a good word, my friend. If you want more of that, let me encourage you to go get this book, God, Do You Hear Me? Discover the Prayer God Always Answered. Derwin has also written several other books, including a bestseller called The Good Life, What Jesus Teaches About Finding true happiness you can find him at derwinlgray.com and he's a great follow on twitter at derwinlgray that's at derwinlgray derwin this was absolutely our pleasure thanks for spending so much time with us today hey thank you y'all have a good day okay you You too, too friend you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life everybody welcome back to the common good aim 1160 hope for your life alongside aubrey Sampson. my name is brian Fromm. hope that you're having a wonderful day all right aubrey i want to ask you a pastoral question and okay. it's an actual question that somebody posed to me the other day the okay. beauty of having a radio show is i can go oh let's talk about that we'll talk about bit. that on the air it's something that I think everybody wrestles with. But Aubrey, I got to be honest. It's something I wrestle with really hard. Okay. <laughs> like This is not one of those things where I can answer somebody else and go, yeah, I got this. You know, I got this. No, this is, uh, if I'm going to be honest, a struggle for me. And that's the question of bitterness. Here is the question. It's a twofold question for you. How do we – and maybe you'll take the second part first. It might make more sense. But the question is this. How do we get past bitterness? Mm. And secondly, and maybe first, is why does it matter?
2: Oh, yeah. So I, I feel like bitterness is one of those <sighs> roots that gets down real deep. And if you don't do the work to dig it out and get rid of it, then the, the seeds, the fruit that will flow from bitterness or grow from bitterness – are only things Mm -hmm. like anger, jealousy, pettiness, scarcity. So I think part of you you got to get rid of your bitterness uh, because it's not healthy for you, but also it'll begin to ruin relationships. Mm -hmm. It'll ruin things like your career because you'll just be in like a comparison trap all the time. And honestly, it's not what God has for you, right? Like bitterness Mm -hmm. is not from the Lord. And so I, I, I guess jumping into how the first thing that comes to mind, Brian, and you may have better words than this, but we have to begin practicing gratitude. Mm. And I know this feels like almost an overstated spiritual discipline at this point. We hear it all the time, but I don't know how many of us actually look around day by day, and write down or mark things that we're thankful for. And bitterness really can't exist at the same time as gratefulness. So as soon as we begin to see the blessings we have, the people around us who love us, the good things God is doing, that begins to dig out those roots of bitterness.
0: Hmm, That's good. What about... uh, All right, let's get more specific. Uh, So somebody does something to you that you think is unfair. We're pastors. People leave our churches, right? And so uh, somebody that you've been close to leaves your church and uh, you thought, okay, I should say somebody you thought you were close to leaves your church and, and just cuts you off. You never hear from them again. Yeah. Right. So there's not even that opportunity to have a conversation about this or that. Uh, that feels unfair, right? That feels hurtful. That sure. feels like that's not how it should go. Sure. So I struggle with not not feeling uh, an immense amount of bitterness towards that person. Mm. Like when I think about them, just like that's not fair. They should have talked to me or why did they have to cut me out? Uh, and it almost feels unfair to let them off the hook in my mind of going, yeah. ah, let them yeah. go. Yeah. There's this and that. So some people might be thinking and, you know, maybe people out there are going, yeah, you know, I've got a family member who hasn't treated me well yeah. and they don't seem to care. They don't seem to care about the relationship yeah. as much as I do say. Uh, so in those situations, bitterness almost seems like the not just natural but the fair response why is that not true
2: no I think it probably is true I think it is the fair response I think it is the natural response I think the problem is that's the opposite of what Jesus has shown us like it mm. with mercy and grace right like there it that anytime there's unforgiveness it's because we feel like someone owes us a debt and likely they do owe us a debt but mm. the reality is because we know what Jesus has done for us we owed him a debt but he took our debt on himself that That's the posture we have to have. Now, it doesn't mean you have to go and be best friends with that person again. It doesn't mean you have to reconcile the relationship. But if you want to be like Jesus, it does mean assuming the debt that is owed and Mm. showing that person grace and mercy that they don't deserve because as an outflow of the mercy and grace that we've received in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying it's easy. It is more natural to hold on to bitterness, but it is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives.
0: I think something that I realized along the way, Aubrey, that is helpful, it doesn't necessarily make it easier, but is helpful in this situation is generally the people that I find myself bitter towards, uh, I've had to come to the realization they're spending a lot less time thinking about me and what, <laughs> what, what is angering uh, me than, that than I probably That is so am.
2: real, Brian. That is so true. And
0: that realization. So that you know, use our earlier example: the person leaves your church, and they just kind of cut you out. The problem, the reason they probably cut you out is because they thought a, they thought a lot less of you and your relationship. Than with you them thought than of you them. Didn't.
2: Yep, that's so true, and really funny, actually, when you you kind of put it in that perspective. Yeah. That does give you a lot of perspective because sometimes I think we can be like, "What did I do wrong? What do they think of me?" Likely, they're not thinking of you. They've moved on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, likely, they've stopped thinking about right. you, and so it doesn't seem fair at all. But Aubrey, uh, kind of a link to bitterness is forgiveness. I think in many ways they're synonymous. There's some differences there. But they're synonymous. And we've often heard that saying that forgiveness, you're actually freeing yourself and not the person you're forgiving. Help people understand that, though, because it's a bit of – you and I talked the other day about pithy sayings. It feels a bit of a pithy saying. Uh, but it's actually got some truth behind it. So talk to us about the importance of forgiveness and what it does in our own lives.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think too, I would have two responses to that. Because one, I don't always think that's true. I sometimes I think when you uh-huh. forgive someone, it's actually very powerful for them. So sometimes I actually don't think that's accurate. But I will say it is for them as much as it is for you, because once you forgive them, you're releasing them from the debt that they owe you, and therefore you're releasing your own mind that's going to keep playing over different scenarios and different conversations. Mm-hmm. You're going to release that anger that's in your heart. You're going to release that anxiety. You feel you're going to release that emotional energy. That's so negative. When you forgive, you really like let it go to God, trust that mm-hmm. God's going to take care of it. You don't have to pick it up again. And there is emotional freedom that comes from that.
0: Yeah. And I think you made a really good point and we'll end with this. Cause I think you made a good point at the beginning. We forgive. We forgive because he forgave us. We show grace because he showed grace to us. And I think if we can't get to that point, we're going to live with bitter feelings, harboring unforgiveness. And and let me say one
2: quick thing, just very quickly. Forgiveness is not always a feeling, right? Sometimes it's an action. It's a discipline. It's a prayer. Sometimes you do it day in and day out. So if you don't feel like forgiving and beautiful and lovely towards that person, that's okay. Keep doing the work of releasing, forgiving because of what Jesus has done for you. Well, stick around. We are joined by one of our great friends of the show, Karen Swallow Pryor. She's here to chat about a new article that she wrote at Religion News Service called Beauty is the Extravagance that Makes Us Human. You are not going to want to miss that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. And we are thrilled today because we are joined by friend of the show, Karen Swallow Pryor. She's the research professor of English and Christianity and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. She's the author of On Reading Well, Finding the Good Life Through Great Books, among a lot of other books and articles as well. And we're joined by Karen today to talk about an article that she wrote at Religion News Service called Beauty is the Extravagance That Makes Us Human. Karen, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Good to be back, Karen. For our listeners who may not have heard you on before, may not be familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
4: Sure, I am, as you said, a professor, research professor of English and Christianity and culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So I teach literature, I teach culture, um, I write, and just kind of try to weave it all together. Uh, you know, in in my profession and in my life. And uh, part of that is what came out in the r column mm-hmm. and writing about, about beauty and just how important or how important that should be in our lives.
0: Yeah, and Karen, it's great to have you on again. And you say humans' ability to appreciate beauty reflects our nature as being made in the image of God. I would just love for you to unpack that. How is it our that our ability to appreciate <laughs> beauty says something about our nature?
4: Well, you know, I, if, you, if anyone knows anything about me and follows me on social media, you know I'm an animal lover. That's right. Especially <laughs> my dogs. I love my dogs. But this is one of the things that, that I just marvel at. As intelligent and, um, spirited and loving as animals can be, um, they don't appreciate beauty. They don't comprehend mm. beauty. They don't look at the sunset and, and, and notice how beauty, beautiful it is. And even though animals are beautiful and they, they create beautiful things like a bird's nest and or their songs, that's just built into them in a way that it's not like they can consciously reflect on the beauty and notice mm. the beauty and, and yeah. think about making beautiful things. So mm. this really is a quality that is unique to us as human beings. And of course, because our Creator God is the is a cre- the capital C Creator mm-hmm. of capital B Beauty and mm-hmm. the source of all beauty. Then, of course, our our capacity to see and create beauty in human ways is a reflection of being made in His image.
2: Mm. Mm, I love that so much. And Karen, let me just step back a little bit because we we use this phrase a lot: the image of God or the imago Dei. And for people who may not be familiar with that phrase, what what does that even mean? Well, of
4: course, in the creation account in Genesis, the Bible says that we were made in God's image. And that actually, the question that you just asked is one that, that we could ponder and think about <laughs> for hours or days or weeks or maybe our whole lives, because just the idea of being in, in the image of God, I mean, obviously it means something more than just being a physical reflection of him the way that a mirror mm. reflects an image yet at the same time we know that because God became human in the form of Christ in the form of a human being there is a sense in which our physical bodily humanity is a reflection of God so we can't really separate out the the physical aspect of our being created whether male or female in the image of God or also that sort of more philosophical or metaphysical understanding mm-hmm. that we are in his, made in His image because we are we are moral creatures. We have souls that will be eternal or mm-hmm. can be with Him forever. There are just so many ways that we reflect God, our Creator, in ways that in a unique unique, unique way to all of creation. Yeah. Um, he made it all, and yet human beings are uniquely made in His image.
0: Yeah. Karen, we live in such a busy time. We have so much hecticness in our lives, right? Like our lives are kind of in 140 character tweets, and that's kind of how we live our lives. And that feels like it stops us from even recognizing the beauty around us. I wonder, what do you do in order to kind of maybe disconnect and in order to kind of sit in God's beauty and reflect on God's beauty? What are some of the things that you do that maybe other people could pick up?
4: Well, the disconnecting is certainly hard. And again, if anyone <laughs> knows anything about me, they know that I'm, you know, I'm on social media a lot, and so I struggle <laughs> with that disconnect like anyone else does. But I also um, take time out um, almost every day to run, even though I'm not a good or fast runner. Mm-hmm. But and I live in the country, so I'm able to enjoy nature. Um, I just spent a week teaching an intensive where I was inside all day Mm. uh, for a whole week. And then when I came home, I just spent hours out on my porch Mm. (laughs) in the outdoors. Even though I was doing work, I'm just outdoors listening to the birds, um, looking at the flowers that are on my porch. Um, There are so many ways that we can intentionally Put spots of beauty wherever we live. You might not live in the country like I do, or live where you can be outside in October like in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can put plants where we live. Mm. We can paint paintings. We can arrange our room in a way that um, invites us to um, look out the window, or even just have a, a piece of furniture that just we love because it looks so beautiful. Um, we can go to museums or or at least yeah. virtual tours. Um, there's so many ways we can intentionally invest in things that are that are beautiful and meaningful rather than just all the junk that seems mm. to fill up our lives so easily.
2: Mm, I love that, Karen. I, I actually have a friend who sets an alarm on her phone so that every hour or so she, she gets up from her desk and walks to her window just to look outside, even mm-hmm. if it's for a couple of minutes. Just to like I'm getting up, That's I'm stepping brilliant. away. I know. I think it's so smart. We're talking with Karen Swallow Prior about her article at religionnews.com. Beauty is the extravagance that makes us human. Karen, you started this article with a story related to Mary Shelley's novel Frankenstein that you said sold at auction for $1.17 million. And uh, someone did not respond well to that. Talk to us about how that unfolded for you. Yeah, well, of course, Frankenstein
4: has a special place in my heart because <laughs> earlier this year I released my own edited version of Frankenstein. I love that. Drawing, going back to the original 1818 version, which isn't published as often and including an introduction and notes to help readers really understand and fall in love with this wonderful novel that's just so different from from the film adaptations. And so it was fascinating and wonderful to 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 see this news that a first edition of of the novel sold for so much and it it was a record for um any novel by a woman so that was kind mm, of neat that's when cool. i posted the news uh, yeah it is when i posted the news on twitter you know someone just responded um that it would be easier to celebrate if there weren't so many people that were so needy and hungry and could use that money and um and that just prompted this thought i mean of it just reminded me of when um, the woman poured the expensive perfume mm. on Jesus, and and people said that that's a waste. They should could that that perfume could have been used for something more uh, useful, um, and it was just wasted being um, poured on Jesus. And mm. you know, all beauty, in a sense, is is kind of a waste in that sense because it takes time and effort to make something look beautiful rather than just be functional. Mm. Um, And we're a very utilitarian society. We Mm -hmm. just want to fulfill the function, but that is not how God created the world. It's not how he created us, as we talked about a few minutes ago. And so beauty is kind of an excess, it's an extravagance, but it's part of what makes us human, and so it really is important. We are more than just functional beings. We are beings who need and need beauty um, because beauty draws us to the source of all beauty.
2: Oh, that's so good. That voice you're hearing is Karen Swallow Pryor, the Research Professor of English and Christianity and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're chatting with her about her article at Religion News Service, Beauty is the Extravagance that Makes Us Human. Karen, I, I wonder, you know, you've talked about in your own life how you appreciate beauty. For people who are like, I don't know. This sounds weird. You know, maybe art, maybe creativity is just not in them. What's one way they can just begin to stretch themselves to think a little bit about cultivating a love for beauty?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we, well, I know that we all have the capacity to be creative and to, um, and to appreciate creativity and beauty, and not in a stereotypical way that most people mean. I mean, I actually don't think of myself as that creative a person, and mm. I'm certainly not a talented singer or artist. I, I try to work on the craft of writing, but that's, that's what gives me hope and inspiration. Mm. I feel like if I can do this, anyone can, um, and so there are just so many ways that we can we can again, notice beauty, make room for beauty, maybe read a, a little bit more of a challenging fiction, work of fiction that we know is a, is a great work of, of literary mm. art, or see a film that challenges us mm. rather than it's just kind of whatever is on Hallmark or Lifetime. <laughs> Indeed, there's there are so many good books about art and art history, some wonderful ones by good Christian writers Mm. like Terry Glaspy. He's written some wonderful books Mm. that can introduce Christians to the world of art and the the background and histories of uh, of great masterpieces. Um, But again, it just takes intention because most of our lives are filled with work, 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 and then we just want to do the mind-numbing things when we're not working. so So, um, but But we can cultivate something in between because beauty is 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 refreshing and it's a, a leisure time activity that that reinvigorates us rather than just numbing us
3: mm.
0: yeah and, and Karen much of the premise of the article speaking about being created in the image of God it's it, a lot of the language we use around uh, the the discussion about abortion these days and and all of that in the news in Uh, Aubrey and I talked uh, last week or the week before, whenever your article came out, you wrote a an opinion piece at The New York Times that just got widely distributed and lots of people talking about that Uh, rather than. um, Well, let me just start here. Uh, Why did you feel compelled to write that in a place where most people uh, probably necessarily wouldn't handle it very well? A place like The New York Times. Why did you feel compelled uh, to write that piece at The New York Times?
4: Well, of course. I mean, I've been passionately pro-life for most of my adult life, mm-hmm. so that's several decades now, and have spent many years, you know, wishing for and working for um, the uh, for Roe versus Wade to um, to be overruled, and it's just looked hopeless for a long time, yeah. and and most laws just uh, that our attempts to regulate abortion get um, get. Knocked down by the by the courts, and so then a few weeks ago, the state of Texas passed a law that's extremely controversial, mm-hmm. extremely innovative, because mm-hmm. it kind of circumvents some of the legal um, already established laws around Roe versus Wade by allowing citizens to sue. Um, those who provide abortions, not the women who get them, but those who provide abortions. Right. So it was a lot for me to wrap my mind around it, the idea that this here's a law that might actually have um, a chance against yeah. Roe versus right. Wade, and yet right. it was so unpopular.
3: Yeah.
4: And so I was conflicted myself about the law, and so it was an opportunity for me to really think about well, what is the role of the law mm. in general? Um, which I think the the m- main purpose of of any society's laws is first and foremost to protect human life, to protect yeah. citizens, yeah. and then of course, well, what is human life? What does it mean to be human? Mm. Which, you know, I've understood for a long time. Even even not just as a, as a Christian, you don't have to be a Christian and believe that human beings are made in the image of God right. to know that that life begins at conception, right. whether you're a human or a dog or a cat or a horse. I mean, all of their little lives begin when a sperm and egg unite, and we can deny it and we can, you know, we can rationalize around that because it's convenient, because our society is set up so that we don't want the inconvenience of, of that basic fact um, but this law was an opportunity for us to say not only for me to think about not only, you know, why do I want abortion to be illegal and why is making it illegal illegal not enough? Mm. Why is it not enough to help the women who are making these decisions? So mm. I really did try in nine hundred words uh, <laughs> complicated
3: questions. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a really, really well done article, Karen. I, I wanna read you one of your own quotes yeah. if that's okay um you sure. say and the fact is that in our consumerism individualism and pragmatism we live in a transactional society that gives rise to bounty hunters on the left and on the right outside the abortion clinics and inside them too we need to be people who act not transact for mercy justice and love and love isn't love that doesn't act i thought that was so powerful mm-hmm. can you unpack that a little bit for us mm-hmm.
4: Well, you know, it's interesting because this really does connect back to the earlier part of our conversation. Yeah. Part of what drives our, our culture's need for abortion to the extent that so many, um, pregnancies are willingly ended in abortion is that we, we are a consumeristic and individualistic culture and you know we just want what we want and we and i, I say this about myself i have my plans and don't upset <laughs> my plan um and don't inconvenience me Maybe yeah. this is something that i struggle with but our whole culture is set up that way that it leaves a little room for the unexpected for the surprises for the for those who need us for for dependence um on each other and you know, and, and that's the kind of lifestyle that also doesn't make room for beauty. And, mm-hmm. and life is beautiful. Yeah. Life is hard, but it's really beautiful. And mm-hmm. we just, I think, don't recognize that enough.
0: That's great. And Karen, I guess I'll end here. Uh, I love your Twitter account. So people should follow you on Twitter. You, Like you said, you frequently tweet, but it's always stuff that gets me thinking or encouraging. But if people aren't aware of Twitter, when you go to someone's page, they can pin a tweet, right? Like it's kind of like the one that stays there forever. And yours is from like six years ago, and it's just the fruit of the spirit verse. It's just the fruit of the spirit. And people do that for a reason, right? You choose the tweet to pin. I'm wondering why you chose that one to stay there for the last six years.
4: Well, I... I, I, I... That I made that tweet and then pinned it to the top um, when I was facing um, some pretty brutal and horrible attacks from mm. from within the church, from mm. people who were misrepresenting me and attacking me, and and people were you know people were confused about who I was and what I believed because there were so many lies and distortions spread around. And I just I realized you know the evidence of Christ in us is is this. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says so. And so I pin that, you know, just more as a reminder to myself because it's so easy for me to defend myself or attack back in the flesh mm. when... I know that my best defense is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in me, and that when I see others who are displaying that Spirit, I know that we, even if we disagree on things, um, but that fruit of the Spirit is the thing that is, that is the evidence, really, of, of Christ in us. So oh, I need that so reminder good. every day. We too.
2: all need that reminder. Karen, <laughs> thank you for that. That's such a good word. Karen, thanks so much for being here with us today. We always love having you on The Common Good. Well, I love being on. Thank you. Thank you. You can learn more about Karen Swallow Pryor and her work at karenswallowpryor.com. You can connect with her on Twitter, like Brian was just mentioning, at KS Pryor. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm, and we hope you are enjoying this evening. We're so grateful that you're with us today. Brian, we had a guest on our show a few weeks ago named Heather Thompson Day. She was a fantastic interview. Mm -hmm. She wrote a book called It's Not Your Turn, What to Do While You're Waiting for Your Breakthrough. And I just remember she was like a powerhouse.
4: That's right. And
2: I was like, oh, I want to get to know this lady. She is so fantastic. Um, She has a podcast that is promoted on Christianity Today called Viral Jesus And she recently interviewed a TikTok evangelist, Kevin Spencer Wilson. He's known online to his followers as cross cultural Christian. He was born in Sri Lanka. He moved to the Sultanate of Oman when he was 12. Over the past 30 years, he has learned to speak three and a half languages. I don't know what that means, three and a half languages. But he's traveled to 13 countries. He currently is a youth pastor in Oceanside, California, which that sounds like a nice place to live. I would be okay living in a place called Oceanside. And he attempts to help his tribe think meaningfully about their lives so they can live lives meaningfully. Now, here's the crazy part, Brian. The guy went on TikTok to really just create these videos about how to make good chai tea. But while he's making chai tea, he talks about <laughs> Jesus. And in less than two years, his growth has exploded to over 200,000 followers. That's Is that nuts. unbelievable? Yes. So I, I want us to listen to a clip of him talking about this journey of being a pastor online. Let's go ahead and take a listen to Kevin Spencer Wilson sharing about his experience.
5: This whole journey for me, going being being online and being a pastor and and using something like Chai to to do create content has caused me to just revisit uh, theology, revisit uh, my pictures of who Jesus is, revisit what he told about how to how to interact with the other whoever the other is. So 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 let me backtrack a little bit. The, so the more that I've been able to understand the gospel, the more I see the raw Jesus at, you know, in action, the way of Jesus, the more I'm convinced that the gospel and the way of Jesus has all, or if not, uh, it has all the, all the right materials, the raw materials to kind of construct this amazing worldview in which loving the other and approaching the other is, uh, is not only uh, encouraged, but becomes inevitable. I begin to see the gospel as this this amazing life operating system. That when the mind and the and the heart and and the actions, all that stuff, find their place within this life mm. operating system, then love for other just becomes this almost direct outflow of of this thing.
2: So that's him just talking about beginning to see that the gospel is really this kind of amazing, all inclusive. Thing that can um, encourage our mental health, our physical health, our spiritual health, our emotional health, and that you can present the gospel in a way that is not condemning, but is really compassionate. Mm-hmm. And somehow that has drawn so many people in. I think this is so fascinating, Brian. Okay, so what, what do you feel like he's doing that's right
0: a, he's going where these, where uh, they're going to be young people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, gosh, do I sound old? Them am young people. <laughs> uh, he's going where they are, yeah. right? Like um, for better or for worse, uh, high school, uh, college age, just out of college, they're on TikTok. And so he's going where they are. And my guess is, I'm going to guess on this, he's just being himself. Yeah. Like He started by wanting to like teach people how to make, what would you say, tea? Chai tea, yep. And instead, now he's just – so he's being bold as well. Mm-hmm. Like he could have just talked about tea right? the whole time. Um, but he's clearly connecting on a medium and in a way that's resonating with people. And so I think there's stuff to learn there about what it looks like to share the gospel with people uh, in ways in, – in venues where we're comfortable – Uh, And in ways that are honest and authentic.
2: So I think those are some really good points you just made in ways that are comfortable and authentic to us, because for you and I to go on TikTok and try to do what he's doing, that would not be authentic to us. I've been trying to tell you that. (laughs) I still think we can do dance videos, Brian. Uh, Yes. Let's let's begin to close with this. So for those of us who aren't on TikTok, okay, we're just living our lives, going, you know, doing carpool, going to the grocery store, what have you what are some ways that we can begin to think about sharing the gospel or maybe contextualizing the gospel where we are? What are some, I don't know, some strategies or some frameworks that we could have in place?
0: Ah, that's really good. I think to ask yourself first, what do you enjoy to do? Like, What has God put in your soul to enjoy doing? And then ask the follow-up question, how can I take that Uh, and leverage it to make connections with other people who love to do these things and maybe see a doorway opened up to share the gospel. So it could be, you know, you, maybe you like to just walk around the neighborhood. Well, maybe invite someone to walk the neighborhood with you. Maybe it's, you know, I spend a lot of time at baseball games. Maybe that's a venue. Uh, There, there's all sorts of different ways that it, it, you know, it doesn't have to all be street preaching and, um, and confrontational. It could be, what has God wired you to like doing? Uh, And, Can you invite other people to come do that to you? I think if we all kind of thought in those terms, we'd start to make some real strides.
2: Yeah, I think that is such a such a good point. What do you like doing? Can you invite people along with you? And can you build enough relationship with the people who are already there that you're able to share the gospel in a really intelligent, kind, compassionate way? All right. Well, wherever you are, God has planted you on purpose to share his love and compassion. So think maybe today about creatively how you can do that in a way that's authentic to you. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.